0: Welcome to Roleplay Rescue's Game Master's Journal. My name is Che Webster, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes of my own Game Master journey. Each episode features my audio notes, recorded here and there between my gaming sessions. Assembled into a rough edit, these notes form a journal and let you take a peek behind the GM screen. The journal is raw and rough, and not everyone's cup of tea. But you have been warned. Well, everybody, it's Sunday afternoon, and um, I just had an amazing thing happen, actually. We just had a new patron join the uh, Patreon, and um, we have our first Blessed Champion. Um, So welcome, Russell Andrews, um, supporting us at an incredible incredible level of support, $10 a month. And yeah, the very first Blessed Champion, all hailed the Blessed Champion of Roleplay Rescue. Um, And part of that is... Says here in the in the entry, you know. Not I mean, am I gratified and honoured? But I'm going to have to say something on air. <laughs> you are generous beyond imagining. And I am actually left speechless. Don't really know what to say. It's such an encouragement. It really is such an encouragement and a boost when anybody supports, Um but for you. To do this is just incredible. So thank you, Russell. Really appreciate it. Massively, massively appreciated. Game on.
1: Hi, Che. It's Colin. The idea of rituals in games, I think, is very interesting. These rituals seem to happen by themselves. They they don't need a lot of thought. But in recent sessions I've run... I tried going with like a a theme tune or some music to set the scene at the beginning of the the session, knowing full well that I would repeat it each time we played just to get that feeling of, uh, not get that feeling, but to get players' heads into the right space. So over time they build up this association with the music, signalling the beginning of the session, maybe trigger... Um, recollections of previous sessions and all that sort of stuff. I think, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting subject, that idea of ritual in games.
0: Hi, Colin. Always good to hear from you, man. Um, And thank you for calling in. And, uh, yeah, I agree, ritual. I actually had quite a lot of comments about this, um, sort of not just in voice messages, um, but also, you know, just like on MeWe and Facebook I think um, Frank T from Frank T's liner notes has been quite taken with the thought and idea, um, and I'm hoping obviously that Paris Conti, who uh, raised the question for that episode, also you know feels that they got something from that or some value in that. But man, it's great to hear from you, and it's great to hear you feel that I might be onto something. <laughs> this idea of of ritual, and and like you said, I don't think it needs to be particularly forced. I just think. Maybe it's worth as a GM and and perhaps even as a player recognizing those things are part of the experience and they're how we move from, you know, not being in game to being in game. And I also think it explains why the non-gamey behaviors like checking your phone or going off on topic or, you know, talking about something else, why that's so jarring and why that's so irritating, uh, at least to me. So, yeah. I uh, I just think you're onto something when you say that they don't have to be forced or pushed. Um I think that's absolutely true. But I do think you can be deliberate. Um and perhaps you know just kind of go with the flow that would work. Anyway, great to hear from you. All the best, Colin. Game on. Hey, Che. this is uh Cody with the No Safe For You podcast and member of the Audio Dungeon. I um just wanted to, I don't really have anything to say. I was just listening to your most recent episode. Um, it's actually the first one of yours that I've listened to. Um, I don't necessarily have anything to add. I uh, just wanted to let you know that I enjoyed it. I thought you had a really lot of, uh, a lot of really good points and um, that you've got a new listener. So um, good job. Keep it up. And I look forward to future episodes and going through your back catalog. So take it easy. Bye-bye. Isn't that kind of cool? thanks cody really nice to hear from you and um yeah first time caller new listener by the sounds of it and man it's really great to hear from you thank you for taking the time and just making that call and and let me know that you're enjoying the show or at least you enjoyed the first episode you listened to of the show (laughs) i really and sincerely hope that the further episodes you listen to are not disappointing um yeah man just cool thanks for calling and um cody great to hear from you keep listening man i i really appreciate it and do feel free to call in if you have questions or comments because that's what we love on anchor innit game on
1: hey jason here just calling about your solo play podcast excellent podcast it does help i think that's a great example you know and it's interesting because it shows where your thoughts are because i think like film noir, like detective stories. So I was thinking maybe you were a PI that had lost his memory or a PI that was being questioned by the police or wanted for something, right? But it, I think it was a great example. I thank you for putting that out there and taking the time to put all this content out. It's greatly appreciated. You do do a great job. Don't second-guess yourself. And please keep up the great work. Take care. Bye.
0: jason awesome to hear from you man thank you so much now was it just me or were you wrestling with a bear or something there while you were talking that was awesome man that's why i'm chuckling that just the sound effects in the background were brilliant i don't think i could have done better myself i guess it's a dog i'm guessing i am hoping. i don't know anyway jason thanks for calling in i enjoyed doing the solo episode and then i kind of got all like um I don't know. So, yeah, second guessing myself is a good phrase. I think I often do these things and I kind of think, oh, is anyone really going to want to listen to them? And it, it's a real discipline to just kind of force myself past the imposter syndrome and put it out there. So, thank you for your encouragement. And again, thanks for being a patron, man. I mean, you asked me what was the benefit of kind of having early access. And I guess, well, at least for me, one of the benefits is I got your reply in time for the very next GM's journal. So, that's awesome. Anyway, I'm glad, I'm really glad I'm helping you with the solo stuff and kind of helping you get your head around uh, how that can work. If there's any question, anything specific I can further help with, man, you know what to do, right? Cool. It's Tuesday night and fully aware that we're completely neglecting the GM's Journal this week. I am uh, in Kendal in Cumbria which is you know, the southern tip of what's affectionately known as the Lake District, or the lakes to the locals. And uh, we're in a hotel facing a large field of sheep, which is always a beautiful view. The sun is going low, and we've just been to the pub for dinner. And I had to have Cumberland sausages and mash, because, you know, we're in Cumbria. Um, so, yeah, not much news. I'm going to settle down this evening with my copy of The Fantasy Trip in Labyrinth, and I'm going to have a quiet evening. So there you go. Well, it's Wednesday morning, and we are in Bowness upon Windermere, sitting on the s- lakeside, really, at Lake Windermere. I am reminded immediately of Mr. Muir, where I, I named the huge body of water to the east of, uh, of Anminster Lake. Windermere, just because of this place really it's gorgeous looking out over the water there are some um, sailing boats sort of moored and mist over the mountains ahead of me and uh, beautiful forests um, where the land juts out into the lake, it's gorgeous and it's early morning so it's quiet which is really nice Miramere was the lake that I created near Annminster, right close to Annminster in my setting for the scenario um, at Moon's Bike Tower and um, that's exactly what I had in mind is this placid water inland lake that uh, kind of reflects the moon at night and is gorgeous so yeah here I am I guess I just wanted to record a quick little uh, note and um, you know take in the moment hey guys it's uh wednesday evening we've been um and about in cumbria today um out on windermere which was lovely and then in the afternoon we went down to um the southern tip of windermere near um near there and we went walking with wolves at the predator experience which was awesome so two um, wolf hybrid um animals really lovely really um you know, you can feel the power and the force and the and the energy, which is very different to that of a dog. <laughs> but yeah, walking with those, spending some time with those and um, learning a heck of a lot about wolves, um, which was just awesome. And I just wanted to sort of take a second and make a note of it. So it might have been a vague interest to some of you guys, I don't know. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. Deb really enjoyed it I had a good time. So yeah, awesome source. We're home from our, our break-up in Cumbria, which is really nice, and um, had a quiet morning this morning. I've just been actually stocking a, a dungeon map this morning, which has been cool. Over the last few days, I was actually taking the time to read um, the fantasy trip, uh, especially the in the Labyrinth book, which I've not finished reading, but nonetheless, I'm, I'm a good way through. And I have to say, it's a surprisingly nice game. I'm surprised that a lot of people haven't have a greater awareness of the game I suppose, especially in the old school, because you know this is a game that was originally published, or the first part of it was published in 77. This book I think was published in 1980. And is um very much an old school game. It's the Proto uh GURPS, 3D six roll low system from Steve Jackson that um you know he developed for the, the Fantasy Trip eventually evolved into GERPS. And you can see lots of uh, the concepts in this game as well, which is really good. What's interesting is that it, it's a modular thing. It has, if you buy the, the complete kind of deluxe edition of the, what they call it, the legacy edition of the Fantasy Trip huge box, which I'm, you know, I have, it contains a number of smaller packages. There is a, 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 pack, a little packet called Melee, another little packet called Wizard, a third one, which is Death Test and Death Test 2, which are essentially adventures. And then there's the book Into the Labyrinth, or In the Labyrinth. in the labyrinth. And um, what this does is it builds a kind of modular game, which, is, which I think, I feel, kind of deserves a, a, a fuller review in its own right, to be honest with you, rather than me wittering on now. You'll have to let me know if you're interested in me doing a proper review ep- episode, I suppose. What I like about it, though, and one of the things that really sort of stuck out to me is that this game really does tackle the question of how to play, not just as in presenting a set of rules, but also presenting the outline of how the game structure of a dungeon adventure works. And I think that's really, really, really cool. And um, again, goes back to those early days when people took the time to do this, whereas now there is an assumption that players just know how. Um, you know a dungeon adventure runs or how a wilderness adventure runs which of course is patently not the case people don't know how these things are played until they learn how to play them i think some of the complaints about dungeon adventuring and how rubbish it can be comes from not having a really good appreciation of how to do it well But well, as a personal view i suppose the other big thing I really liked about in the Labyrinth is it presents the world of Sidri, which is the the campaign world, which is actually supposed to be a place where anyone could put their campaign world. It's a world that's genuinely huge, okay, and in which you know you could actually just kind of have a, all of the campaign worlds in one place. And I think it's tackling an issue that has gone away from the hobby in lots of ways, but which was a big thing back in the early days, which was this idea that if I come and play with you and you're GMing. I bring my characters into your world. Um, but of course, if I'm GMing, you're going to come to my world with the same characters. And um, finding a way of rationalising that was kind of key and important back in the early days. Of course, these days we all tend to play very separate games. You know, you play your game, I play my game. We have different characters for each game. We have a different world for each game, whatever. And um, they don't really meet and cross. Another uh, sort of thing I feel is sort of gone away from the hobby and perhaps a richness that we've lost from our hobby. I don't know. Um, but yeah, the world of Sidri is great for that. And it also has space for science fantasy, which I really liked and I really found fascinating. And again, coming back from those early days of role-playing where this was common, you know, we weren't so bound by the conventions of of fantasy genre. We actually have the sword and sorcery heroic fantasy stuff, um, which can rub shoulders with technology and can rub soldiers, uh, rub shoulders with, um, uh, you know kind of some other tropes and ideas which is really really cool anyway i'm not gonna witter on too much but i i just said i felt like i really this is a great game it's a really good introductory game i think i think it's a really good old school game and i think that people should pay more attention to it which I guess means i'm gonna have to go away finish reading it and then put together a review doesn't it anyway i wanted to share those thoughts Quick um, kind of extra random thought, really. I, uh, in the Rollgate game, which I'm gaming with Derek and Spencer, the guys have just kind of taken their first steps out into the wilderness, and um, I suddenly came, became confronted, because I'm using Castle Crusades with that game, I suddenly became confronted by the relative lack of, you know, guidance for adjudicating stuff in the wilderness. And it kind of suddenly struck me how different that was from reading um, GURPS Dungeon Fantasy sixteen Wilderness uh, Adventures, in which there is—I mean, there is a kind of more hand wavy um, wilderness travel system there. But you know, if you just want to go from A to B, it takes this long, and you just maybe roll for a a quick encounter to see if anything happens. Very much how it's done in many, many role playing games these days. You know, at max, you might have a day a roll per day of travel, sort of see if there's something that happens and that's it. But actually the detailed rules in um, Wilderness Adventures, um, they are kind of illuminating and it really gets me thinking about the expectations that we have about Wilderness Gaming and um, how basically perhaps it's because we're city living, um, not very connected to the land um, you know, these days as games designers and writers, maybe we're just not very interested in that. We don't see that as interesting and exciting to be wandering and camping and doing all those things. I personally know I hate camping because it's difficult and it's uncomfortable. And those are the things that kind of come into the GURPS rules. And I'm not doing very good justice to sort of but in this quick uh, kind of thought. But the idea that, you know, you would be rolling and see where your camp is paced and whether that's comfortable or whether that's safe. Um, you know, whether it's a, a, a well-placed camp or not, you know, and it actually has an impact. It, it tire, you become fatigued if you're not sleeping in a good place and you're, you're not getting proper rest. Um, and I contrast that with, like, Castle Crusades and, and many other role-playing games, I guess, wherein there isn't this expectation that this stuff is important. And I kind of think that that's a shame. I think that there is a lot of richness of gaming that comes from not hand-waving the details actually and sort of almost digging into them taking your time over them because it's a role-playing game I know that there are many people out there who feel that they have limited time and um, you know they want to get to the the nub of it but I think by taking your time in a game a we get to explore the world in more detail and the experience of that world and we get to discover more about our characters what their strengths and the weaknesses are and how they do fare in the wild as opposed to in the city. we don't just fast forward to the dungeon where the action is. I also think that there's a there's a thing where we don't start focusing on where's the next fight. You know, in the past I've tended to hand wave the wilderness travel so I can get to the dungeon, so we can get to the encounters. And this breeds, I think, a kind of a culture of, you know, where's the next fight, where's the treasure? Instead of a a verisimilitude, a depth, a Uh, an immersion into the world and uh, an exploration of that world you know how do the question i had in roll gate and i think this just kind of came up as i was gming really was these guys are going from this town to this location they kind of vaguely know where that location is how are they going to find it and do i really want to abstract that down to you know a quick die die roll which they'll probably fail and just means delay or something or do i actually want to You know, take that journey. And I've decided to take a journey. I don't know whether Derek and Spencer are enjoying that. I sense a little bit, perhaps, of frustration from them, and maybe because they don't expect it. But I, I don't know, I personally find that more interesting and engaging. And it gives opportunity for there to be further decision-making, role-playing, you know, um, within the wilds. It occurs to me that I first came across this idea that my conception of the wilderness and the reality is very different when I was reading the Palladium fantasy games uh, supplement book, The Northern Hinterlands, which is all about snow-drifted wilderness. And reading from a writer who seems to know a bit more about the the wilderness really was illuminating. And I think it would do us well as city living people to perhaps go explore the wilds in our role playing I don't know, maybe I'm just mad (laughs) It's Saturday and I've been enjoying working on my campaign a little bit Um, with the first 10 artifact cards from JE Shields um, coming through uh, a couple of days ago and I'm just just waiting for the main files to do my cards but actually the artwork's done I put together another list of 10 artefacts to go out today, a mix of mundane things, magical things, because I really do want there to be um, not just magic items on these cards. I kind of like some oddities as well and interesting things. Um, So I put together another list of 10 of those. Part of my inspiration now, I've drawn one or two items, I think maybe actually four items, out of the Arduin trilogy uh, by David Hargrave. Some really great stuff in there. I think in time I might end up with almost every item uh, in my campaign. But I also took some time to randomly roll some. I randomly rolled up um, a piece of armour treasure from the Dungeon Fantasy Eight treasure table book, which is just fabulous, people. I have to say, if you just want random treasures for your your campaign, you can do worse than roll up from that. Even though it's got GURPS statsy bits in it, largely it's just tables. Um, and you ca- it's kind of cool because you get like a mix of elements that come together to create a unique item. Um, no, nothing necessarily overly, overly powerful. Some really good and useful things. It's great. I've enjoyed doing that. So that took a good chunk of my time. And then I started making some more uh, monster cards for myself. Uh, if you're probably aware, I like to put monster stats onto quick reference cards, probably um, size of index cards. And I've just been transferring the stats for Goblins, Hobgoblins and Orcs over... And then also one particular creature that I'm not going to talk about, um, which is unique to my campaign and kind of putting that together using the GURPS rules today, it has been great. Absolutely really enjoyed myself doing that. And um, yeah, I think the sort of creativity that comes from building your own things is something I've really missed. Uh, when I play games like D&D and you've kind of got the Monster Manual and it's just a kind of grab bag of pre-made things... Um, That's fine, it's quick. I mean, certainly with 5e, I've enjoyed that, and I really like that. And the barrier to playing GURPS in the past has always been that I didn't know how to do that. But it's really useful with the GURPS Dungeon Fantasy role-playing game. You've got a whole kind of load of pre-made things, which I can use. But I also have kind of started to get my head around how you would tweak and change those things to individualise them. um, Or even build your own things. So, really, really beginning to enjoy this game, and... um, the kind of flexibility it gives. so it's lunchtime let's go eat that's it for another episode please let me know what you think and drop me an anchor voice message to share your response either use the anchor app or go to anchor.fm slash rpgrescue slash message. Come and join the conversation. In the meantime, all that's left to wish you is a fond farewell and all the best at your gaming table. My name is Che Webster and this has been a Roleplay Rescue Game Masters Journal episode. See you again next week. Game on.
1: to Webster!